So the last three weeks, if you haven't been with us, um, we've, been having, we've been focusing around a series. And, and the reason why we're doing this and the reason why we're really kicking off the year focused around this series is because we believe that culture is so important. I don't know if you've walked into an environment before, but every environment that you walk, uh, you have walked into an environment, obviously, but wherever you walk into and whatever you're a part of, whether it be a workplace or McDonald's down the road or I don't know, maybe a cafe after the service, everywhere that you walk into has a culture. And it's not really determined by just the actions or the words, but it's, it's determined by what we hold dear to, what we say, this is what is important. And so that's what we've been doing over the last couple of weeks, the last three weeks. And the first one thing that we talked about is the fact that Jesus is our pursuit. It doesn't get more simple than that, and it doesn't get more really focused in that. It's the, the fact is, is that we want to be a church that first and foremost, beyond anything, we're not, we're not, we're not seeking stuff. We're not, we're not seeking uh, as a church for Life Church's name to be known. Uh, how fickle is that? We, we want as Life Church for the name of Jesus to be known. And so we will do everything that we can, everything in our ability to make the name of Jesus known. And we will seek Him as a church. We seek Him on Sunday mornings when we come together, Sunday nights. But we also seek Him devotionally and individually. We don't just seek Him on a Sunday, but we seek Him day to day in our own personal lives because He is our personal pursuit. The second thing we talked about is the fact that people are our purpose. We don't have this great building and we don't gather here to look at the walls and look at the seats and be like, wow, these are some fantastic seats. Now, I didn't arrive this morning just to stand up on the stage or just to admire how great our coffee is on a Sunday morning, although our coffee is great and it's always getting better, I'm sure. But we gather here this morning to first pursue Jesus and because people, 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 people are the purpose for why we are here. We don't, we don't just come to church and have our, have our have receive salvation and thank you, thank you very much. I'm going to walk out the door and live up the mountains for my own, for my own uh, sake and my own life. But we live a life that is to receive from Jesus and then for, to allow that to flow through us to bless the people that are around us. And the third thing that Sophie uh, wonderfully spoke on last week was the fact that generosity is our privilege. Generosity is our privilege. It's not a have to. It's not a, any, no one's forcing your arm to do it. Nobody's checking over you or watching as you come in. Nobody's looking at anything that you do. I would hope that nobody's looking over their shoulder to see what, who's putting in the bucket or, or, or counting how many hours this person is serving or what that person's doing. Because it's not because that we have to or it's not a competition at all. It's just a privilege. And simply because our hope would be that every person would know how generous our God is. And it makes it so easy when you know how generous God is to be generous in response. It really is. I mean, here being here in, at Life Church and calling Life Church home for the last 27 years, I've just been blown away time and time again about how good God is, how generous God is. But the fact of the matter is that usually generosity comes in the form of people. And usually the prayers that we are, are, are waiting for, the prayers that we have prayed, or maybe the prayers that somebody down the road from you has prayed, usually is answered in the form of people. People are the, the tool. People are the, the way that God uses to answer the prayer of His children. And so that's why we're generous. Not because we have to, but because we have received so much, and so we love to bless those around us. We live a life of generosity. Not always perfectly by any means, but we do what we can do. Amen? 
Wonderful. How about you open your Bible to Revelation? And we're reading out of Revelation chapter 3 this morning. It's a well-known passage of Scripture, so we're just going to tear this open a little bit, just if, in case uh, no one's uh, read this before. Revelation 3, verse 15 to 16, and also verse 19. Verses 17 and uh, 18 are very awesome. I, I wish... Another time we'll come back and we'll gather around verses 17 and 18 because they're very rich. And also Romans 12, verse 11 in the Passion. This is what it says. Read another uh, New Living Translation. I know all things you do. This is Jesus speaking to the church in Laodicea. I know all the things you do, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. But since you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. In verse 19, it says, I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Romans 12 verse 11 says, be enthusiastic to serve the Lord. Keeping your passion toward Him boiling hot. Radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit. And let him fill you with excitement as you serve him. The fourth cultural value that we have here at Life Church, and we're going to gather around this morning, is simply this passion is our response. Passion is our response. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, that you are here right now. And Lord, I just pray that you take the words that I say, Lord, and what is of you, Lord, will enter into the hearts of your people, and what is not of you, Lord, will hit the floor. And we just thank you for everybody that's gathered here this morning. Lord, I just thank you for the, uh, for the faithfulness of people. Lord, taking time out of their day to put you first. And Lord, we just give you all the glory, the honor, the praise. And help me to focus and get words right. Amen. Amen. One of the things that I admire when I look back at the days of old is... The fact that things are so simple or had the appearance of being so simple. I look back and kind of have been Googling a little bit about what life used to be like, you know, in the 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s and <laughs> maybe they defeated someone. <laughs> no, the 80s is not long ago. And as I've, as I've looked back, I've just realized and admired how simple things used to be. I was looking up a, uh, a sign of McDonald's, and, and uh, on the sign it just said, it didn't really have many options, really all it had was, you could have a hamburger, or you could have a hamburger with cheese, and that's all you could have. Do you want anything else? Sorry, but we don't have it for you. Those are really the only two options that you can have, a hamburger, hamburger with cheese, and you can add some fries and, and a drink with it, but that's pretty much all we've got. Henry Ford famously said that any customer can have a car painted any color that he wants, most of us know the rest of that, so long as it's black. You can have whatever you want. You can come to church, and we will, we, will, we, will have, we will have a stage that is any color that you want, church, as long as it's black. <laughs> Until about five years when things change. And, you know. When I got home from school, it was, you can either have what I made you from my mom. She, was, she said, you can either have what I made you for afternoon tea, or you can wait for dinner. It wasn't two options. It wasn't, you can have this, or I'll run down to the supermarket and get to what you want. 
It wasn't, you can have this or I'll spend 30 minutes preparing something else that you really want and desire. No, it was either you can have this or you can wait for dinner. It was very simple. When I was at Boys High, I could either wear really two things. I could either wear a gray shirt, shirt, black shorts, and black sandals, or I could wear a gray shirt, black shorts, with black socks and black shoes. I don't really have much of a choice. And you know what? Every single morning when I was at Boys High, it was wonderful. I mean, these days I can't just, you know, have a myriad of black t-shirts in the drawer. But back then it was so simple because I didn't have an option or I didn't have a choice of what to do. I just kind of opened my drawer and guess what was there for me to wear and guess what I was allowed to wear. The same two things. And that was it. That really was it. But what I've found is as time has gone on, the availability of things has become more and more pronounced. And the options that we have in life today is, is incredible. You, you go on Amazon, you go down to Nolimi, and you go down to the warehouse, you do whatever you want, you go shop somewhere, buy something somewhere, and the options that they have is just incredible. Myself and Sophie have been doing a bit of renovations, and so we spent a wee, little while uh, looking for an oven top. That's right, what it is. I don't, that's not even what you call it, but... We'll, we'll roll with that. And there were just so many options. I walked in, and I was kind of looking around, and I was just overwhelmed. I was like, I don't even want an oven top anymore. <laughs> just have the one we've got. So, but Sophie, knowing and having studied and spent hours looking at all these different options, had come to the right option. But what I've also found is, with all the options that are available, one thing that I really don't like about the fact that there are a lot of options is when you have a group of people or when you have what is the, what is the C word these days, a committee. When you've got a committee of people and they're either going somewhere, doing something, or the worst thing is trying to find a place to eat or what to eat, and everybody is kind of, you know, everybody kind of has to agree on what to have. But I don't really mind when people are telling people, telling us what they want or kind of putting forth their ideas. What really strikes a nerve is when, and I've just got to be honest here, is that when you're with a few people, myself and Sophie and maybe a few others or whoever's there, and you say, hey, we've got these options, what do you want? And the thing that bugs me every single time when someone's like, huh? Maybe you've got kids and you've said to them, oh, what do you want for dinner? They've said, uh. <laughs> Maybe you've got a husband and he's just amazing, a faith-filled man. He's been praying and seeking the Lord. The Holy Spirit told him that he wants a lasagna. <laughs> but we can be with people and we can have so many options and all the stuff that's about and our response so often to it can be, well, to be honest, I don't really care. Well, to be honest, uh, you know, whatever goes, goes. Because when I ask people what they want, it's usually a, meh, you decide. Meh, meh, you decide. And instead of contributing, instead of even just giving a thought or some helpful indication of what they want, it is far too easy and has become far too far more commonplace these days with all the options that are around is just to say, eh, eh, I don't really, I don't really mind. It can be like when we're in a church setting, we can, we can ask each other, what, what are you looking forward to this year? What's the thing that you're looking forward to this year as we kind of look ahead and it's a brand new 2020, 2020 vision and oh gosh, it's amazing, oh, convenient. 
What are you looking forward to as you look ahead in the year of 2020? And I'm, I'm sure there are people here and myself for sure in the past I've said, uh, yeah, I don't know. We can ask, what is God speaking to you about lately? And we can respond to that by saying, eh. <laughs> ask my wife. <laughs> she sounds like God. Like. Can even be as, is there any life in you whatsoever? Like, is there, is there anybody inside? And the answer to that sometimes can be, eh. oh, I've been to work and I got home and the kids were at home and made dinner and did that and went to sleep and I had some more extra work to do. So I actually stayed up a bit longer than I ought to. And then I got up in the morning and I didn't really get enough sleep myself and then I got up early because I had more work to do or I had to do something else. So I had to mow the lawn or feed the cat or, I don't know, run around with the dog. And then I went to work and then I came home and I had dinner. And then and life can become so much of a cycle that anything beyond what is in front of us can simply become a, eh, eh, doesn't really matter. And if there's something that we can't have, in my opinion, in the lives of people, of the church, is to be living with the response of, yeah, yeah. To be honest, I love, a pe- I love people that have passion about them. I love people that when I talk to them, their kind of eyes light up. I love being, being in a sort of environment where you can just walk into the room and you just know that something is alive. I mean, I've been walking into a lot of, a lot of rooms and I've been in a, in a few places, certainly not as many as the people that are here. But you walk into some environments, you're just like, okay, people are here, but people aren't present. And I love when I walk in here on a Sunday morning just as I did before. And I look around and I see people. And I know that they don't just have something about them. They're not just a person that is doing life or working or raising a great family, but they have life within them. They're not just alive. They're not just present, but they are fully alive. And in the context of this church in Laodicea that Jesus was talking to, there was this city, Laodicea, and it was located between the cities of Heropolis and the city of Colossae. And both of these cities were known for pure water that flowed out of them from, from fresh springs. And six miles to the north of Laodicea, Heropolis had a, had a spring flowing with hot mineral water. It was like when you got to Rotorua. It was, it was just beautiful, hot spring water that was used to, uh, for healing. It was used for medicinal purposes. It was used to soothe people and their bodies. And then 10 miles to the east of, east of Laodicea was Colossae. And it was known for its cold, refreshing mountain springs that flowed through it. It was like when you turn a tap on in the middle of the winter in Palmerston North and you kind of have to wait until it kind of gets above freezing. But then the two springs flowed to Laodicea via an aqueduct. By the time it got to the city of Laodicea, the water had mixed together and it turning into a lukewarm, murky, and apparently dirty-tasting water, which apparently... When, the, when visitors to the city drank this water, they couldn't drink it because it was so just dirty looking and so lukewarm and just pretty much the exactly wrong temperature that you want to have a drink. I mean, you want to have hot water, you want to have cold water. You don't want to have something that's in the middle. And so when, you, when they drank it, apparently it was so disgusting to them that they spat it out. And sometimes I think that this scripture has been... Uh, has been interpreted necessarily properly. I mean, people read this at 
face value and say, you need to be, be hot for God or you need to be cold for God. You need to be hot for God and going for Him and fervent and giving your all and you need to be hooting and tooting and hollering and doing what you can and you know, being the best Christian that you can be in, in, the, in the world. Or you should just go home and watch motorsport. Don't, don't, worry, don't worry about it. Don't bother about it. But the, really, the, the, the context of the story isn't, uh, the, the, the church and the setting really isn't saying that one is, being hot is good and being cold is bad. It's actually saying that both are good. Both are good. Both, both of these waters have their positives. Both of these waters are actually beneficial to the people when, they, when it flows from them. When it's hot, it's fantastic. It's healing. It's soothing. It's great. And when it's cold, it's fantastic too because it's refreshing. It, it, that's great also. But the thing about it is that instead of going with one or the other, which both of them had purpose, lukewarm water was the equivalent, really, spiritually, of being indifferent. Saying, oh, I don't really want to be that way. And I don't want to be that way. I don't want to be refreshing. And I don't want to be, you know, and I don't want to be really nice to, to drink on a, on a summer's day. And I don't really want to be hot and uh, medicinal and healing or anything like that. I'd rather kind of just be in the middle. I'd rather just be like the water of Laodicea. In verse 17 in Revelation 3, it tells, tells us that they had become so wealthy, become so wealthy with all that they could ever need physically that their spiritual condition lacked any purpose. It lacked purpose. They weren't going one way with the cold water, and they weren't going other way with the hot water. They were stuck in between, like the city of Laodicea, right in the middle like lukewarm water that had no purpose. In other words, they become so focused on what didn't matter, on what really didn't matter, that the church had become indifferent to why they were meant to be there. Had no value. The Bible says that they had become so wealthy, had, become, had, had gained everything that they need, and really what Jesus was saying to them is that you've become so comfortable in what you have and where you are that really as a church and as a people, you're so indifferent that you're actually no good for anything. And I don't think there is much more, in my opinion, really, that the devil enjoys in a Christian that is simply indifferent. I don't think he minds when a, when a Christian doesn't really care and really is just a bit of a meh, a, a sort of Christian that isn't focused on where you're going and where you're heading, where Christ is taking you. I think the devil actually delights in people that really call themselves Christian but really make no difference in the world. And I think one of the most dangerous places that we can all be is enjoying who Jesus is without having passion for what he has sent us to do. Or I could put it this way. The enemy doesn't mind if you have enough of Jesus to make you feel safe. He doesn't mind that at all. He doesn't mind if you're if you feel good, if you go home, and he doesn't mind the enemy I'm talking about. He doesn't mind if you got enough of Jesus that you're saved and you got your ticket to heaven and, and that's really it and you're kind of comfortable with that and move on with life. The enemy doesn't mind if you are comfortable enough with what you have, but just as long, just as, long as you don't have enough of Jesus for you to want to make a difference. And Craig Rochelle spoke on a little bit of this a little while ago, and he, and he talked about six things, six, six things that are indicators of someone that's living with indifference. I hope this is encouraging. 
And the first one is we're, we're more concerned with impressing people than living for God. A person that's a bit of a, eh, eh, whatever. They're more concerned with impressing the people around you than actually impressing God. The second, secondly, we're obsessed with life on earth rather than eternity. Living for right now, living for what you can get day to day rather than what the future holds for eternity. Thirdly, we rationalize sin and live without truly fearing God. If you're indifferent, it's like, oh, it doesn't really matter. Oh, it's, it's fine. I don't need to deal with that. Oh, it's all right. Fourthly, we believe in Jesus, but we really share our faith. That's a tough one. We believe in Jesus, but we really share our faith. And sixth, oh, sorry, fifth, we only turn to God when we need Him. We only turn to God when we're really in desperate need. We only come to church. We only pray out loud when we really need something from God. But all the other times in life, we're very, very fine with just doing what we're always doing. And lastly, we're not much different from the world. I think that's probably the one that struck me the most. If I'm living indifferent to the calling of God that's on my life, and I'm sure that you feel the same, it isn't, isn't it a tragedy when if somebody was to look at you and look at a person that's far from God, really I'd hope that they'd see you and see that there's something different about the life that you live. That we don't just live as everybody else does. We don't just do what everybody else does and says. We don't talk like everybody else says because there's something different about us. We haven't just received Jesus for us to become good people. We've received Jesus to make our dead spiritual life come, come alive. Amen? Mark, 20, uh, Mark 12, verse 30 says, You are to love the Lord Yahweh, your God, with every passion of your heart, with all your energy of your being, with every thought that is within you, and with all your strength. This is the great and supreme commandment. This is the great and supreme commandment. I would love for us to be a sort of church that doesn't just go by and 20 years goes by and we kind of look back and we say, oh, wow, oh, funny that, 20 years went by. But we can use the future. We can use the days that are here. We can use today. We can use the life that we have right now to do something with it, to make a difference in our world. And I would hate for, for, for myself to, to live years and years, but then for me to look back and say, did I really do anything? with what God had given me. The reality is Jesus left heaven and came to earth, wrapped himself in a human body. He brought the, the good news of salvation, then he himself died a terrible death on a wooden cross. Jesus defeated death and rose again on the third day. He spent more time equipping the disciples, departed again for heaven, leaving behind the Holy Spirit. Jesus empowered the church by his grace and filled them with the Holy Spirit to fulfill the Great Commission until Jesus himself returns. And then when he looks at the church of Laodicea, and I'm sure sometimes he could look at the church as, as it has been in the past, not this church, but other churches in the past, he can have the exact same feelings today as he did for Laodicea. He say, I love you, but you're neither here nor there. You're not, not going this way or you're not going that way. You're stuck in the middle. You're not doing anything with what I've been given you. I want to say in a world whose norm is indifferent, we live in a world that people just 
don't really care about the things of God. You don't really care about what the Word says, the truth of what God says about who we are, the world that we live in. And then in response to that, I would hope it would be passion for what we believe in, for what we have. In a day that is defined by people seeking comfort as the ultimate goal in life, our response will be passion. While being a Christian can so often be about having a good feeling rather than, like I said, making a difference for eternity. And truth be told, I really want to be surrounded by people in my life that are passionate about the the cause of Christ. I want to be part of a church that is passionate about what Jesus was passionate for, for the lost to be saved, as we talked about in a vision, the saved to be discipled and uh, baptized in water and Holy Spirit, the baptized to be discipled, the disciple to be to serve, and for every person to lead others in such a way that others will decide, desire to do the same. So I want to go through a few things here, but what does passion look like for me? And the first thing that passion looks like is that passion is a matter of caring deeply. First and foremost, passion is a matter of really caring deeply. And what I like to say on that is that passion isn't a personality. Passion isn't having a, a loud mouth. Passion isn't really just getting up there and, like I said, hooting and hollering. Passion to me is caring for something deep within your spirit that sometimes your soul and your feelings just can't compete with. But really it's that. It's caring deeply for what we have and, and, and for the cause of Christ that we're part of. I'd, I'd say that I'm passionate about my wife. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm passionate about who she is and, and the fact that she's the most amazing woman on earth. I'm passionate about her. But it doesn't come in all the time in me saying to the world, oh, wow, Sophie's amazing. She's fantastic. It doesn't come all the time in me saying, wow, like, you know, look, look at her. I don't post it everywhere or anything like that because it doesn't start there. It starts within about caring deeply. Psalm 69 verse 9 says, Passion for your house has consumed me. Passion for your house has consumed me. It comes from within. You think of the lost coin. You think the lost coin and, and the owner of the lost coin, he, he searched and searched and searched. Why? Because he cared deeply within him. He was passionate about the coin. He was, uh, is that the right? Sorry. He was passionate, well, let's, yeah. He was passionate about the, finding the coin or the, the, the sheep that had, that had gone on, the, the lost sheep, because he was, he was passionate within him. Even the angels up in heaven, Luke 15, 10, and they, they say there, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. We need to have that sort of passion within us that we care so deeply about what we have, who we are for, and what we are doing. Secondly, passion is a matter of proven priorities. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God. Billy Graham once says, give me five minutes with a person's checkbook and I'll tell you where their heart is. What, is, what do your priorities look like? What, what, what does that prove to yourself? What does your, your time prove to you? What does your treasure prove to you? What does your, what does your uh, talent prove to you about the priorities that you have, the things that you're passionate about? What do the habitual priorities of my life say about me? Thirdly, passion is a matter of eager expectation. Eager expectation. Not just spectating the game, not just being around the outskirts, but passion means having a desire to play on the team. And when I see something that I'm passionate about, I'd I'd really give it absolutely everything to be there. 
When I, when I see somebody, a, a young kid, 16, 17 years old, pulling on a Manchester United shirt for the first time, about to run out onto the pitch, I'm like, I'll give anything to be that guy. Well, not everything, but I'd give a lot <laughs> to be that kid running onto the pitch of, of Old Trafford for the very first time. Because having a passion for something doesn't just make you want to sit back and look at what is going on. It makes you want to be involved. I want to ask you, are you involved in what you're passionate about? Does your passions move you to just go from being on the outside to being on the inside? Someone once said that comfortable Christians will always become cynical Christians. And we don't want to be comfortable sitting on the outside because that always leads to us sitting back, standing back, asking questions, asking all the wrong questions really, you know, saying, oh, what's going on there? And why did they do that? Why did they do this? I want to be around people that don't just sit on the outside and look on in and just uh, comment on what is going on. I want to be around people that are in the thick of it, involved. I want to be like in a scrum. You're, you're with people. And you can talk to each other. You can say to each other, this is what I think we should do and this is where we should go, right in the thick of it all together. Amen? Number four, passion is a matter of keeping hold. Passion is more than just a feeling. It's a decision. It's a decision to be passionate about your wife. It's a decision to be passionate about your, your children's future. It's a decision to be, be passionate about your workplace, about the job that you're in. It's not a feeling that goes from here and there. It's a passion that we hold inside. Romans 12 verse 11 says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. And the message, it says, don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Keep yourself fueled and aflame. We need to, as we go on, as we have passions that we live for, keep ourselves fueled and aflame for what is, the, what is ahead. Protect your passions. When everything isn't as, it me, as it's meant to be, hold on. Hold on to your family. Hold on to the people that you hold dear. Hold on to your the, the, the people that you, that you love. Hold on to what really matters most. Pray for the, pray for the ones that have gone off. Pray for the, uh, for, the, for the children that don't know God. Hold on. In Luke 15, it talks about the prodigal son. And I wonder how long the father stood at the gate. I wonder how long he stood at the gate waiting for his son to return. I wonder how long he hold on, held on to hope that his son was going to one day come over the horizon and come back home. And in verse 20, it says, So he got up and went to his father. That's the son. And what's the response of the father? He says, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And what does it say? He was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. What a response. What a response. You see the response from the brother, a response of indifference, a response of, meh, a response of, uh, okay. But really the response of the father was passion, compassion. And that's how the father sees us when we come back home to him. He doesn't stand at a distance with his arm outstretched, wanting us to go and make things right within ourselves before we make things right with him. But no, he wants to embrace us and hold us. Fifth and last Thank you, team. You can come up. Lastly, passion is a matter of unforced influence. It's a matter of unforced influence. What do I mean by that? Passion is infectious. 
But do you know what else is infectious? Apathy. Indifference is infectious. If you walk into a room and there's nine people there and they couldn't be bothered, guess what? Most of, most of the time what we would do, we would say, oh, okay, doesn't really matter. Oh, oh well, I'll sit down too. But if you walk into a room where something has happened, something is happening, something is going on, guess what you do? You want to be passionate too. And I would hope that this could be a church when people walk in, that they just get a feeling, they just get a sense that the people of Life Church are passionate about what we're here for. And what are we here for? We talk, the mission of Life Church is to help people experience a relationship with Jesus. That's what we're here for. That's what we're passionate for. And when people come into our house, I would hope that they, do, they would know that there is something about these people. They're not just faking it until they make it. They're not just doing it because they have to. They're not just doing it out of a sense of obligation or, or because, I don't know, maybe they were taught to and, and told to by somebody that was a bit older than them, like a parent. But no, we do this because we are passionate about what we do. And your passion, our passion, my indifference is intentionally or unintentionally shaping the atmosphere of the rooms that we are in. It really is. It really is shaping the room, the room that we are in. Passion, what do I, what I mean by that? I mean faith. I mean coming in with an expectation that God is going to move. Coming in with an expectation. Coming in with passion saying that He has done something in the past and He's going to do it again. That if He saved me, if He gave me grace and He can do it for the person next to me. Then when I bring someone to church, when I bring them to a, to a life group, when I bring them to a men's breakfast, I am passionate about what I'm here to do, the, the cause of Christ. And I have a belief that my passion, my passion, what I carry is going to affect them too. That sounds pretty bad, but it's not. Whether we like it or not, what you're passionate for is passed from you to those around you. And Psalm 145 verse 4 says in the message, generation after generation stands in awe of your work and each one tells stories of your mighty deeds. I wonder what stories that we're going to be telling. I wonder what stories that we're going to say to the generations that are going to come, to the generations that are coming into the house, for the university students that make Life Church their home. You know what? The stories that we say aren't always with our mouths, but with our actions. They're with our hands when we lift them. They're with our voice when we sing. They're, they're, they're in our declarations when we speak of what God has done in the past. They're in our prayers. They're in our uh, just being present and being available for God to use us. Those are the stories that will be told from generation to generation. Amen. How about we stand and I'll pray for you, church. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Down, down, down. You're holding me down.